Welcome into another edition of NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here, joined by Scott Rafferty. Scott, welcome back. Thank you. It's been a while. It's good to be back. How it's you good doing? to be back. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, one thing I was going to say, you and I are two members of Sporting News NBA Global Staff. We're also two people who refuse to be duped by a Steph Curry full court shot hoax. I got to ask you, Scott, first of all, before we get into anything else, did you actually believe that that was real? or? or come on. Or come on, Gil. Come on, Gil. <laughs> Look, if Steph Curry made as good of a shooter as Steph is, if he made five half court shots in a row, I feel like I'd be like, ooh, I don't know. That that That's tough. Full court, one handed. Come on. There's no way. I was not fooled. So, so when I so when I saw it I, and like the way it was recorded, I mean that's the thing. The way things are recorded these days, it seems like very real. It wasn't like the LeBron one from that commercial like twenty years ago. Like I was like, wait a second, and and I and I said this to myself. I was like, either this isn't real or Steph isn't real. Like that's that's the only two options. And Steph has done things that makes us think he's not real. So I think it says just the fact that we like second guess that it might have been real just says. That, what about Steph Curry? And for those of you wondering what that is, go look it up. Steph Curry, Sports Illustrated, shared a video of him. Uh, five full-court three-pointers in a row, and the acting skills are pretty good, too. So it was kind of believable that he was able to do that. But ultimately, it was proved to be fake. So again, it just says what we feel about Steph Curry. Now, something that is real is Anthony Davis and the L.A. Lakers. They started the season off 2-10, and 10, won eight of their last 10 games. They're 10 and 12. AD, 44 points in a win against the Bucks over the weekend. And he follows it up with 55 against the Wizards. I know it's the Wizards, but 55 on the road against the Wizards. The Lakers are on a brutal six-game road trip. We, we've talked about this as kind of like a make-or-break segment of the year for them. Well, they've passed the first two tests with flying colors and kind of can afford um, not necessarily to, to step back, but it, it's not as daunting of a test uh, as it seemed like coming into it. So, now LeBron's kind of taking a step back. AD's clearly number one option, at least for now. But my question to you, looking at Anthony Davis and seeing what you're seeing from him, how much of this do you have to see from him to think, okay, this is who AD's going to be for the rest of the season? Because we know injuries have been an issue with him in the past, and, and consistency has sometimes been an issue as well. So are you fully bought into this Anthony Davis or what? It's a great question. I, I mean, the health is the big thing for him, right? First and mm -hmm. foremost, this is a guy who's been banged up over the last few years. Whenever it feels like he's going to have a really good stretch, he'll be that player that we've we've kind of anticipated him being. It feels like he hits a he, he has an injury or something. So I think that's first and foremost. But the big thing right now is that he just has that kind of I guess kill mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing with AD all the time. It's like he can have these games every so often, but he doesn't necessarily have that mentality every single night. Um, and it's not just the last two games. Like you said, right. we're not far removed from him going 30 and 15 for, for four straight games, which was only the third Laker ever to do that. Um, we've kind of been waiting for this kind of MVP-esque season from AD and a season when really he carries the torch from LeBron, right? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's crazy to think, and it just speaks to how ridiculous LeBron is, that I, I remember when he was in Cleveland with Kyrie, right? Like, we, we kind of thought Kyrie was going to be that person, where it's right. like LeBron passes the torch onto him, and he's the one who kind of leads the way. And here we are, what, like six to eight years later, and now we're having the conversation finally? Um, so yeah, I mean, for the Lakers sake, I mean, we talked about it earlier in the season when things were going badly for the, the, the Lakers, right? It's like the formula for them is one improved three point shooting, which they've gone from being the worst three point shooting team in the league by a mile to actually like not bad, like pretty good, um, not in high volume, but they're making threes enough to kind of open things up for everyone else, but really they need their stars to play well. And especially on a team that's built around two A-listers like LeBron and AD, they kind of need to be in that like top 10, top 15 players in the league 
uh, category, right, for them to be able to compete. So LeBron is LeBron. Like, I, I don't know if he's All-NBA first team LeBron. We might be past that. He's still a great player. Um, but if he's kind of willing to get AD more involved, get him the touches that he needs. And if you look at some of the passing numbers, LeBron is back to passing and setting up Anthony Davis for baskets with the same frequency that he was in that that season that they won the championship. When, I mean, Gil, you know, we, we do these MV, these player rankings all the time. Right. Um, we were talking about AD as like a top five player after that championship. And again, like we thought he was going to be kind of an MVP, kind of take the MVP leap um, that following season. So it, it's been a little longer than we expected, but it kind of looks like AD is, is started to ready to make that leap. And I think that's the, the big part about it. You know, you mentioned the injury has been such a big part for both of them, right? Because, you know, that that title defense year, AD had the injury, then LeBron had the ankle injury, and they really couldn't get on the same page. And then last year, same deal. They really couldn't get on the same page. So maybe this just is who they were destined to be as that pairing, and maybe they kind of jumped the gun too soon um, and making all the, the drastic moves that they made. Because when AD is playing at this level, he's – definitely a top 10 player you talk about like him potentially being a better option than LeBron on the team doesn't necessarily mean that he's a better player than LeBron LeBron is still capable of doing all the things that he's doing and speaking of that LeBron passed Magic Johnson on the NBA's career all-time assist list over the weekend which speaks to him he's going to pass uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's first all-time scoring later in the season but still LeBron is producing at a high level but the ability to step back and, and not necessarily have to be the number one option and not have to exert so much work anymore is going to extend his career. It's going to make him fresher as the season goes on because I think that's what we've seen in the past, like LeBron's body just breaking down and it goes hand in hand. You mentioned that stretch that AD had earlier in the year. I thought it was just out of necessity. I think the, pes- the pessimist in me thought he was going to take a step back because at the time LeBron was injured. So I was like, oh, AD's just doing this because they have to win games. And it also was against like, a Nets team with a thin front court against a Pistons team who's kind of rebuilding the Spurs, the Suns, which was pretty impressive, but it didn't result in the win. So um, when we saw that, I was like, okay, well, when LeBron comes back, AD's going to defer again. But the fact that he isn't deferring, and I also think that, you know, credit to LeBron, also credit to Russell Westbrook coming off the bench, and even Dennis Schroeder, they're all kind of force-feeding Anthony Davis, and, and, I, and I watched – that Wizards game, especially, I watched it with an attentive eye um, once I saw AD was having that kind of night. And that's the biggest thing I took away from it because those guys were trying to get AD the ball. And if they couldn't get it the first time, they get it back to him. And they, they wanted to make sure he gets his touches. And I think that's going to bode well for the rest of the team. And I think the biggest thing I took away from that, just watching uh, that game, it kind of feels like that. You know, we're still talking about a team that's 10 and 12. They're still, you know, kind of, you know, it's an uphill battle for this Lakers team. But watching them in Washington, I I could kind of feel the energy uh, in the Capital One Arena. You know, when LeBron gets a breakaway dunk or Anthony Davis gets an alley-oop, there was a crazy sequence where Daniel Gafford had an alley-oop and LeBron dunked on the next possession. It just feels like that Lake Show magic is kind of back as far as, like, the Lakers are are kind of that big brand again to where, like, it's not a a hate watch or or a team that's hard to watch because, you know, in years past, it, it got pretty ugly so I think it, it starts with Anthony Davis and him being able to sustain this and then I guess the the, the backup or the follow-up question to that is if he does sustain this then what do you see as a ceiling for this team no trades being made nothing like that Anthony Davis playing like a top 10 player LeBron playing like a top 10 player this Lakers team could finish like you know out of there it's, it's better than a playing team right I mean, they're only, I think, two or three games out of the top six seed right now in the West, which, right, you know, right. things are so jumbled that you have a good stretch. I, I will say, like, th- there's two sides of this, right? One side is that the Lakers haven't played many great teams in this stretch that they've had. I mean, they've beaten the Spurs right. not once, not twice, but three times. And this is a three Spurs times. team that looks like they're going to be in the Victor Webb and Yama stakes. And that will help your record. 
But right. in, to their credit, like they've taken care of those games. They've also picked up a, a couple good ones, right? Like I know that Wizards game, Bradley Beal got injured. They're still a team, you know, hovering around 500 in the East. Mm-hmm. Um, they beat the Bucks in probably, well, the best game of the season so far when AD Definitely. really showed up against Giannis. Um, that was just an awesome performance. So I, I think the big thing with uh, AD too is, you know, there's been so much attention on him playing center. And it's, it's he's made it pretty clear in the past that he, he doesn't really like doing that just because of, what that entails, you know, going up against some of the biggest guys in the league and the, the wear and tear that takes in your body. But to his credit, he's playing more center than ever before, really. Um, and he's completely changed his shot profile, right? Like, I, I think the the intrigue with Anthony Davis this whole time is like this guy who can do everything. He can step out to, he can pick and pop to mid-range. He can space the floor from three. He can finish at the basket. He's super athletic. He, you look at his numbers, like he's, he's scoring at the rim and in the paint at a rate we've never seen from him. Like it, it's all floaters, it's all dunks, it's all layups. Um, he, he's kind of turning into like, I, I know it's been, he's been compared to Giannis time and time again. And it, it, they're different players, but like almost like the Lakers version of Giannis, uh, right? And I think when he's doing that, they're a different team. So I, I think I'm going to sit on the fence here, which Colin would love um, from me. Uh, he's, always, he's always giving me a hard time about that. But I think we kind of need to see this Lakers team play against better teams before we can really get a sense of what they are. And this is going to be a, a tough stretch coming up for them. Because again, like they have taken care of business against these teams that they should be. They've got a couple good wins. But until we see them play against com- these kind of heavy hitters and to see if Anthony Davis can continue to play at this level against them, um, I, I feel like I, I kind of want to reserve judgment until I see those matchups. Absolutely. And the Lakers have a great opportunity to do just that. We mentioned they, they answered the call against Milwaukee, but uh, as far as we know, that could have been a fluke. We talk about the fact they're 10 and 12. Three of those wins are against the Spurs. So 30% of their wins came against the Spurs, but four more games remaining on a six-game road trip for them. They are in Cleveland, then they go to Toronto, second end of a back-to-back, then they're in Philadelphia and wrap things up in Detroit. One thing I wanted to point out about Anthony Davis, you talked about that. Last nine games at the time of recording, averaging 35.3 points, 15.6 boards and he's only attempted 11 threes in that span and six of those attempts were in the last two games and he made four of those six threes now when the lakers get back to la from this grueling trip they're rewarded with a meeting against the celtics on december 13th which we'll get to that because it's next week we'll talk more about that next week but it's kind of wild the the celtics have a six game road trip that coincides with the lakers road road trip that they're on right now the celtics actually kind of wild for them they're starting out east and they make their way west they started in brooklyn got a win over the nets in toronto uh, to take on the raptors then they head to phoenix how do you pack for that going from toronto in december to phoenix i don't know good luck to them then you have Golden State Warriors finals rematch this Saturday. Uh, We'll see them for the first time since game six of the finals. And they wrap up with a doozy of a back-to-back with the Clippers and the Lakers. But I want to talk about the middle of that trip. If we're looking at it as like a sandwich, you got the bread with the Eastern Conference trip and the other piece of bread with the Lakers. I know I don't want to make you hungry out there listening, Scott. I think you just ate, so I think you're fine. But the the meat of the trip is a potential finals preview. Celtics, Suns, and then a finals rematch, Celtics, Warriors. The Celtics have head and shoulders been the best team in the league so far, won 19 of their first 24 games. Jason Tatum playing at an MVP level. All those things are good. And as the meme says, they haven't even reached their final form. Robert Williams III is easing back to play. He looks like he's going to be ready soon in the coming weeks. So when you look at this trip for the Celtics is there anything we can learn about them what are you expecting from them and do you think there's going to be like a little bit of a residual uh you know uh, element of revenge when they're going to take on the Warriors this weekend 
I'm sure there will be. Um, look, this team, I, I think the biggest thing to, for me in this road trip is to see if any other team can kind of keep up with them. They've been unreal to start this season, mm. um, especially offensively. Like, they are leading the league in offensive rating. It's not close. Like, the Suns are in second place, and there's almost three points per 100 possessions separating them, which is huge. Um, they're just a really smart team. They move the ball well. Um, they, they space you out. They have guys at all times on the court who can shoot from three. Mm. And that just opens things up for everyone from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum at the, the top of this team to Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench. Um, they're just kind of relentless. And the, the funny thing is, you know, we were talking, this was the best defensive team in the league last season, right? Right. And this season, they're, they're like middle of the pack. Like they haven't been anything like special, really. And you still see signs of it. Like that Nets game, the way they can switch across the board. They have a Grant Williams who one possession will guard Kevin Durant and then he's guarding Kyrie Irving on an isolation um, he's just built like a brick wall, but he can stay in front of these guys. Like they, they have great defenders, um, but it's really been their offense that's driving them so far. So I'm I'm fascinated to see you know them play against the Suns team that has been you know elite on the other side of the NBA in the Western Conference. They've been working their way up the Western Conference standings even without Chris Paul. Um, again, I said it a few weeks ago, Devin Booker. It feels like he's getting more attention now. That'll happen when you go off for fifty and forty or whatever it was in back to back games. Um, he's taking his game to another level as a, as a scorer and a playmaker. That's great to see. And then, yeah, that Warriors game. I'm sure the Celtics have that game circled because really, you know, some of those issues that we saw in the finals last year, whether it was those turnovers, their offense kind of kind of bogging down in the half court, it does feel like they've resolved some of those issues with their play the way at the start of the season. So I, I don't think we're going to see peak Warriors defense in the regular season. Like, we know what this team is. They're going to save it. They're going to play the long game. Um, but I, I do think the Celtics will have that game game circled. And as you said, like Robert Williams III isn't even on this team yet. And it does seem like his his return is kind of around the corner. I am fascinated to see, I think defensively, there's no doubt they're going to improve. We're talking about one of the best defenders in the league, argue, probably the best shot blocker, right? And he has value in offense. He, he's a good passer. He's a vertical rim threat that they don't have when he's not playing. But I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see kind of what the impact is. Like, does this team take a little bit of a step back offensively because they're not spacing the floor as much? But are they back to kind of the defensive levels they were last season? And what does that look like? Um, but yeah, there's, there's not enough that can be said about their play this season. Um, and Jason Tatum rightly has got a lot of credit for it. Jalen Brown, by the way, absolutely unreal start to the season. I mean, he's averaging nearly 30 points per game while shooting 50% from the field. Um, he's been fantastic as well. So yeah, it's it's hard to say anything wrong about the Celtics right now, and it's it's basically kind of the, it, it kind of feels like they're in a league of their own. Absolutely, it's 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 funny because like you, you mentioned, and that's a it's a very appropriate shout out for Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum's been so good; it, it's almost like we haven't even had an opportunity to focus on how good Jalen Brown has been, and he has been. And I think that's what makes this Celtics team so difficult to deal with. And, and, and I'm looking at this trip that that they're facing right now stylistically. I'm wondering like. You know, we're a long ways from trying to figure this out, but like at some point, it seems to have to figure out how to beat this team four times in, in, in seven games. And I'm like, do you count on your offense and, and trying to win a shootout with them? Or do you try to just just muddy it up and, and make it so ugly and make it a rock fight? And I'm thinking about their personnel and it's like as good as they can be defensively when Robert Williams comes back, it's going to make it hard for you to just, you know, be able to to run the score up and, and hang with them. And then the the personnel that they have, and, and they are shooting at a historic rate now, right now, and that could slow down. And, and our own Steph No over at Sporting News looked at, you know, kind of the sustainable F parts of their of their hot start and some things that are going to kind of regress to, to the medium. But still, like, 
it's just it's, it makes it makes me wonder like if you're a team that's trying to to compete or contend with the Celtics team like I don't know what's the 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 most foolproof method and that's why we have a two game season to figure it out but but these teams are probably going to try both things like I know the Raptors are going to try and make it ugly they're going to try and make it a rock fight they're going to try to limit those shot attempts you know from uh you know Tatum and Brown but then you know later in the trip when they're playing against Golden State they're not flipping the defensive switch so we might see a, a shootout or, or you might see the Warriors try to to, to have a high a high octane a way to go about it and then again the lakers have one of the best half court defenses in the league so it'll be very interesting that i think that's the biggest thing that i'll learn about this celtics team over the course of the next week or whatever while they're on the road like what is it that teams are going to try to do and what's going to be the most successful that maybe can give some type of blueprint to give an idea to because nobody's unbeatable it's just funny that they've only lost to three teams this year so far but you know teams have found ways to do it and it involves a little bit of luck so far but you know as things go on teams make trades people come back from injury i think that'll be interesting to see i mean no team is invincible you said it right and it's even the suns last year were running away with the best record in the league and it felt like they were just gonna you know wake us up when the final start kind of thing like we will get there and they had a a tough first round against the pelicans and they get knocked out in the second round so um you know, that's why we play these 82 games. Um, I, I think I've kind of learned a lesson from that Suns, how the Suns season went last year of like, not that there were warning signs, but there were definitely, you know, things about that team that you could kind of go into the playoffs and be like, okay, like, yeah, they don't put a ton of pressure on the rim. They don't get to the free throw line a lot. They rely on mid-range shots. They don't t- shoot a ton of threes. And like, is a team going to be able to kind of exploit those things? And sure enough, we found out that they could. So um, I think that's a great point on your behalf, kind of just seeing some of how, how some of these, you know, like playoff teams are gearing up to defend them, um, how they're going to attack them offensively and everything like that. So there's, there's always something to be learned, but it is a long season. Absolutely. And it's funny to, to think about just the difference between, you know, the Suns last year and, and the Celtics this year. We were comparing last year's Suns, like the 2014 Spurs team that was just like out for blood after, you know, losing in 2013 to the Heat when they felt they should have won. And I think the Suns kind of had that, but they ran out of steam. And now we're kind of looking to see like, you know, if the Celtics will have that as well. So it's really interesting to see, you know, how teams bounce back from deep runs that don't materialize to anything because some teams, you know, they use it as fuel. Some teams use it as fuel and then they run out of fuel. But I think it does kind of speak to, again, I don't want to use the word fluke again, but speaks to the legitimacy uh, of certain things. And I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but I'm, I'm thinking about a team specifically that had a deep run a few years ago. The Hawks in 2021 went to the conference finals and a lot of people might have said it was a little bit of a fluke. They, they beat the Knicks in the first round and the Sixers kind of forgot how to play basketball and all of a sudden the Trey Young Hawks are in the conference finals, you know, in 2021. Fast forward a couple of years and it is a bit of a messy situation in Atlanta. You know, you've got John Collins in trade rumors for the umpteenth time um will they materialize on something we'll see we don't know um in the offseason they parted ways with kevin herter um you know to save money and they end up paying deandre hunter but the big thing now you got trey young buttonheads with nate mcmillan um then he's tweeting through it going on going on twitter talking about you know private matters becoming public and they're in the news and and it's just a big deal of what's going on there so what do you make of the situation in atlanta do you think that the situation uh, between Trey Young and Nate McMillan is a whole lot of something, a whole lot of nothing. Um, and by the way, he doesn't show up to the arena for a game after after a confrontation with his head coach. And they won the game, by the way, against the Nuggets, who aren't a bad team. So that part of it of the story is weird as well. So um, there's tension going on in Atlanta. This is kind of weird. They're still performing 
okay, but but what do you make of this team? Because we're going to be growing pains regardless, but I think you know not being on the same page does not help at all. Yeah, it is a very weird situation. And I think we should say, um, as of this recording, Sham Sharani of The Athletic reported today that Nate McMillan's job, he's heard, is safe, right? So this is this is one of those mm. things. It's not like Lloyd Pierce. Um, it seems like McMillan is going to stay and they're going to have to figure this out. Um, it, it has been a, a little bit of a weird season to date. I mean, Trey Young is still putting up huge numbers, but he's not doing it efficiently. Like, he's just not shooting efficient from the field or three-point range. You mentioned the John Collins stuff. His, I mean, his role, he's not nearly as involved as he has been in the past, which I think is, you know, Trey Young being the high usage player that he is, but they've also added DeJounte Murray, another high usage um, ball handler. So he's kind of getting the squeeze and we'll have to see, to your point, for the whatever it feels like the sixth year in a row he's involved in trade discussions. It felt like they played two games this season and he was in trade discussions. So the guy can't catch a break in that regard. Um, but, you know, in saying all that, the 13 and 10 have the fourth best record in the East. And I think if you're looking at that, given all the kind of like turmoil they've had at the start of the season, it's clear they can still reach a new level and everything. Um, there's a reason for optimism, right? Like I think Trey Young will be better. I think DeJounte Murray's had some real bright spots and they've looked at least at times that they can kind of play off of each other. Um, Clint, Clint Capella plays his role to a T. Um, and, you know, they've, they've had some good moments out of DeAndre Hunter. Um, their rookie, AJ Griffin, is so much fun. I feel like he's yeah. another guy who's yeah. not getting that talked about enough. Um, not that he's, you know, kind of a Paolo Bancaro, give me the ball, get out of the way kind of guy. Um, but the way, the, the, the way that he can shoot, make the occasional play, um, he's real, he's been a real bright spot for them. So these in general, I feel like it's just, you have the Celtics, you have the Bucks. Those are the two top teams. And then after then it's just a melange of teams where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, the Hawks could be the third seed. They could also be the 10th. I don't know. Like the Raptors right. could be the third seed. They could also be the 10th. Um, there's just so much to figure out beyond those top two teams. Um, but I, I still think like that there's things with this Hawks team that I really do like, and I'm a believer in Trey Young. I'm aware of his limitations, especially on the defensive end. He does need to learn how to play next to other people a little bit better and share the ball because his usage rate is still sky high this season. Um, but I, I kind of do like the, the team that they put together and everything. I agree. And I think the big thing that, that we talked about with, with Atlanta as far as how they rebuilt the team or retooled the team, I guess is a, is a better is a better way to say it. They they looked at why things didn't work last year, and, and Trey Young got hounded in that Heat series, and they're like, okay, we need to yep. get a secondary ball handler, and Jonte Murray was a primary ball handler a lot in his career, so like kind of have a one A one B, and I think over the course of a season, especially guys who are just that ball dominant, it's it's inevitably going to take time to learn how to play with one another, and I saw it a lot, and I saw people talking about it on Twitter during the preseason that these guys are kind of doing the your turn, my turn thing, and I think you know once you hit the 50, 60 game mark those guys are really going to kind of understand how to play off of one another more and also remain kind of, you know, in tune and integrated with everything else going on. And, and it makes, that's what it makes the, the, the John Collins situation so interesting because he is making $25 million this year. Um, you know, he, he's accepted whatever role they've asked him, even when it's a reduced role. But I think that should, if he does get traded, he could bring in value for that team. And I look at them and, and I think about the way the playoffs go, you know, I think you kind of need a, a a bucket getter type that has a little more size than the guys in their backcourt do that, you know, maybe, you know, when, when teams shut down option A and option B, this guy just knows how to go get one for himself. So, so t- they can hang in there offensively. But um, as far as everything else goes, I, I, I do think, you know, disagreements happen when they, when they, when they blow up a little more, um, it, it makes it seem like a bigger deal than it actually is. I'm sure there's Plenty of things that are pretty similar that have happened uh, that we never yeah. that we haven't even we've never heard about. But you know, Trey Young not being 
present at, at the arena definitely makes it seem much worse than it probably actually was. But it, it could be one of those things where we're looking back and, and the Hawks are having a you know 10-12 game winning streak and we're laughing like, oh, remember when Trey Young and, and Nate McMillan butted heads and, and Trey Young didn't show up to the arena. So we'll see how, how they bounce back from that. But I don't think it's as big of a deal as it's become. But it's kind of funny that we're just talking about internal strife with the Hawks because like they normally don't get that much you know attention of, of anything going on. So that's pretty wild. It is. And it's a testament to, to Trey Young, right? And it's just a star yeah. that he is. I mean, he's one of the best players in the league. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm with you. And I think the um, the John Collins stuff is fascinating because, to your point, like they do, it would help to have kind of another guy with size being able to create for himself. DeAndre Hunter has shown flashes of it. I, I still don't know if I would trust him in that kind of situation. Maybe he's that person who pops for them over the next 50, 60 games or even a couple of years, and he kind of steps into that role. I've always liked John Collins, though, and I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir here um, with you, but I, I like John Collins. He's shown the ability to to shoot, to space the floor, um, create for himself out of the post a little bit. He's a physical defender. Um, I think when he's locked in, he, he can bring some value on that end of the court. We saw what he did to Julius Randle a couple of years ago in the playoffs. Um, so for him, I'd like to see him in a situation where I feel like, you know, a team is going to bring more out of him or give him a little bit more than the role he's kind of found himself in Atlanta. Um but also how they navigate that. Like, he's a good player, right? Like, they can't just get nothing in return for him if they are going to trade for him. Um, So how they navigate that is going to be pretty important for this season and beyond as well. Yeah, uh, the one of the teams rumored to be interested in him is is the Jazz. I don't know if that would even work out, how that would work out, what they could offer, would whatever. But that that's something to be interesting uh, that'll be interesting to follow to see. And one thing I wanted to mention when talking about the Lakers, and it applies to this as well. December fifteenth is a major date mm-hmm. to keep an eye out, mark on your calendar. A lot of guys will become available on the trade market, so you'll probably hear trade talks intensified because December fifteenth is when guys can get moved. The Hawks. Are in New York, Madison Square Garden, Trey Young's playground. People in New York, please don't get mad at me for saying that. I'm just, I'm just saying, <laughs> Trey Young's playground Wednesday on ESPN. So tune in that when you, I'm sure it will not disappoint. Now, as we round uh, up and, and and finish around here, I want I wanted to go through a, a some some notes and random musings around the league. I know you've noticed some things, especially with your watchful eye, the way you see things, and I have some things that I wanted to point out as well. I'll start down in New Orleans uh, with the guy that they're calling Point Zion. Um, he recently just set up Jose Alvarado to the point where he had 38 points, um, which is not contrary to what some people have said, not the most points by an undrafted player that belongs to Fred Van Vliet. He had 54. And how quickly people Alvarado, forget, Gil. how quickly people forget how, how quickly they forget. But Zion, uh, since Brandon Ingram went down with a toe injury, um, taking on more playmaking responsibilities, 28 points per game, 10 boards, six assists per game. And, of course, it wouldn't be Zion if he wasn't shooting 64% from the field. So um, the Pelicans have a couple playoff rematches of their own coming up this weekend against the Suns. They get to have Zion this time around. So what are your thoughts about Zion? We saw a little point in Zion during the Stan Van Gundy regime, but how do you feel about that now, especially you know when Brandon Ingram comes back to the lineup and when C.J. McCollum kind of gets back to full strength because he missed some time uh, with in the COVID health and safety protocol. So I think that a part of this is C.J. McCollum also kind of getting his win back. So I kind of feel like this is, is, is something the Pelicans should lean more into um, and, and kind of use that to their advantage as the postseason rolls around. I mean, this was always going to be the balance with them, right? Because Zion is mm. such a good player. He's so dominant with the ball in his hands. He's also a great passer that, like, he almost, he needs the ball. But then so does Brandon Ingram and so does C.J. McCollum. They're both excellent shooters, Ingram and McCollum. But they're still guys who, you know, they're going to run pick and rolls. So they're going to run the ISOs. So figuring out that balance, that's going to be the big thing for them. And I think that's kind of going to make or break their season, really. Like, can those three guys 
get on the same page. Because if they can, I mean, you look at them right now, they're, they're one game behind the Suns for the best record in the West. They have complementary pieces around them. Jose Alvarado going off for 38. Um, Trey Murphy shooting the lights out. Like, they have depth. Um, mm-hmm. So if they can kind of put all these pieces together, there's a ton to like with this team. But, I mean, Zion. I mean, man, he's... It's funny just thinking about, you know, comparing him to two years ago because it was only his second year in the league. Um, but that's when he averaged whatever it was, 26 points, shooting 60% from the field. Didn't feel like anyone could stay in front of him. He was too strong uh, for smaller guys and just way too quick and explosive for big guys. And it does look like he's kind of found his footing again. Um, and, you know, it, just generally for me, like the, the thing that I've kind of realized over the last month or so we're just so quick to write off guys who come back from injuries, right? Like we, we expect them between like in the first five games for them to look exactly what they were like beforehand. Um, this applies to Zion. It also applies to Ben Simmons who, you know, he got off to a really rough start. He looked like he was starting to find his footing and then now he's injured again, but it, it does like, we just got to be patient with these guys and AD to us, you know, AD is another example of that. Um, but yeah, Zion kind of looks like back to the play was a couple years ago. And I think that's only a good thing if you're the Pelicans, obviously, but it does leave them for some stuff to figure out when Brandon Ingram comes back. That's a great point you mentioned about just writing people off so quickly. It's almost like we saw one person come back to form immediately after injury, and we thought that that should be, you know, the the example for everybody. Same thing with rookies, too. You know, I feel like ever since yeah. the year with Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, and Jason Tatum, we're like, oh, this rookie stinks. He's, he's, a, he's a bust. I'm out on him, whatever. I mean, like, that was so just, – just not the norm to have three rookies – competing like that at that level on the postseason. It's just interesting to see uh, how things kind of skew our view on things. Now, I want to swing it back to you. I'm sure you have a couple of things that you've had your eye on around the league. So I was curious, you know, in in your, uh, in RAS notebook, uh, what have have you had your eye on around the league? Well, I I will say another example of the the, the contrast of that is like Scotty Barnes, right? It it feels like everyone was so hyped about him last year, and rightly so. Hasn't got off to the start that people expected this season, and it feels like every single game I see people just writing him off. It's like we can we can all acknowledge he hasn't had the start that we expected him to be, but like let's pump the brakes a little bit. Like he's going to be fine. Um, right. This is part of the learning curve, and we saw it with like a Jason Tatum even in his second year, you know. So this stuff takes time. Um, I'm going to stick in Toronto. Get, get out of the way. Let me go one four low. Um, OG Ananobi is unbelievable. Uh, OG Ananobi is having the season I have been waiting for. Um, so many others. Defensively, he's been an absolute monster. Um, he's leading the league in steals. He's up there in deflections. Um, only as of this recording, Anthony Davis and Brooke Lopez have more stocks than he does, which is steals and blocks combined. The guy is a monster uh, defensively. And then offensively, by the way, oh, he's averaging close to 20 points per game while shooting 50% from the field. Um, he's been kind of the stabilizing force in Toronto because they've just had so many injuries. And yes, they're only about 500 as of this recording, but OG's had so many big games um, when they've needed it to. And look, he's, he's going to be, as long as he can stay healthy, he's going to be an all-defensive candidate. He might be a Defensive Player of the Year finalist if he continues to play it the way he is. He might also be an All-Star girl. I know like it's going to be really hard. The All-Star teams are going to be loaded this year. It's going to be really hard. There's going to be a lot of guys who are going to miss it. But all I'll say is, compare OG's stats last year to Andrew Wiggins. Look it up. Put them side by side. Um, the guy has a real case, so that I'll, I'll leave it there. Never, never did I did I expect you know the the OG uh, All Star campaign to start this early. But if I knew it was going to come from one person, it would be exactly from you. And you're bringing up the stocks, which everybody I'm sure will appreciate. <laughs> now I think it's interesting. We've been talking so long about you know what 
that breakout year uh, would look like for OG Anobi. And every year we've kind of hinted at it. We've talked about it. It's coming. It's coming. What's it going to look like? That and, and then all the stuff this offseason about like he wants a bigger role. And everybody's like, you know, kind of kind of scoffing at that and like what would that even look like? I think this is what it looks like. And I think a big part of playing for this Raptors team that always kind of praised the next man up mentality. You know, in years past, OG has had his you know durability issues, but he's been the most durable player, you know, on the team up to this point, knock on a little wood for that. Hopefully that, that, that holds true. But I think his ability to, to kind of stand in and do things offensively, defensively and, and plug and play, because we talked about that, like, that's why OG is, is, is such a good fit because the things that he does, you know, as a shooter um, and, and as kind of a, as a defender, they fit with anybody. And now he's adding things to his game that allows him to kind of create more for himself and a little more for others. We saw flashes of in the past. So I think he's now starting to put all the pieces together. I think the big thing that, that'll that'll be, I guess, the, the variable that impacts everything is how successful can the Raptors be? It's almost like, you know, they, they're, they're a completely different team uh, at home than they are on the road right now. Fred Lee even said the team sucked when they played on the road. They gave up 40 in the first quarter on back-to-back nights, and then they came back and dominated. It was a magic, but they dominated. So they have some tests. They play the the Celtics and the Lakers this week, which will be a good I- opportunity to see, you know, is it really a, a tale of two teams a- a- at home on the road? But I do think a part of it, too, is, is injury and stuff like that. So I do think this Raptors team is – about as good as it was last year, you know, for different reasons. And I expect them to kind of fall, you know, in, in, in the same area of the standings they did last year. But one thing is for sure, nobody wants to play them in a seven-game series because they are an annoying team. They sure are. Defensively, they're everywhere. They're all arms and, and legs. They're getting into passing lanes. They're forcing turnovers. Offensively, they they pursue every missed shot. Chris Boucher in particular – um, who's having a great season just before his his recent injury. Um, he's kind of in that six-man-of-the-year conversation. They're just a really annoying team. And Pascal Siakam, we could have spent 20 minutes talking about him only today. Um, right. You know, he, he's had some injury issues as well, but he's been playing at an all-NBA, you know, potentially even first-team kind of level. Um, a guy who, you know, a couple of years ago, people were really down on him, but he continues to just kind of add to his game, level up in ways that we never thought he could. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think this is already a team that's around 500. We've kind of got a taste of what they are, but Fred Van Vliet should be better than he than he has been. Um, I mean, he's still huge to what they do defensively, but he's he's struggling to kind of score inside the three point line. I think that'll that'll creep up a little bit more. Scotty Barnes, if he kind of finds his groove, and then you add all the Pascal Siakam stuff, OG stuff, that bench, if they can get healthy, Precious Achua coming back, they can get a little bit more production from the bench than they have in years past. I, I think there's a lot to like about this team. I, I think you know. Oh, they were kind of a sexy pick to upset in the first round last year against the Sixers. And um, anyone who picked that, myself included, were humbled pretty quickly. Yeah, me too. I'm, but, I'm, uh, I'm also I'm I, guilty I think, of it too. Yeah, I, I think, but if this is a team that kind of can put it all together, I, I think they could absolutely get out of the first round of the playoffs. Um, and then when you do that, you have no idea what's going to happen. Look at the Hawks a couple years ago. You know what I mean? That was a good team, but they got a good matchup for them in the second round. Suddenly you're in the conference finals. Giannis gets in, injured and you actually have a shooter's um, you know, punch a shot. So I know that didn't end well for them, but that that's kind of the thing. You got to take one series at a time. But I, I, I do think there's a lot to like about this Raptors team. So I kind of do hope they that they can put it all together. 
Yeah, that, that Raptors playoff appearance last year is definitely a microcosm of everything because who knows what happens if Scotty Barnes doesn't go down in game one. Joel Embiid hits a three-pointer yep. in game three. That's a completely different series because people were thinking they were going to come back from town 3-0 uh, against the 76ers. So I think we everybody just – the Raptors and Nick Nurse have definitely earned their respect that people just kind of know they're going to be ready to play regardless of who's suiting up and they're going to be a pain to deal with and they're going to scheme for you and they're going to make you work for – what you want to get, and you're probably going to have to go to your second and third options, which is going to make it so interesting to see how they guard Jason Tatum and how they guard LeBron James and even Anthony Davis as well because they don't have uh, the the biggest front court, but they will still make him work for it if he does happen to suit up. Now, of course, you can head over to Sporting News Canada and Sporting News NBA because we have so much about the Raptors and everything else going on around in the league as we cover every week here on NBA Sound System. So we appreciate you for tuning in and ask that you please subscribe if you haven't already and get these right into your feed every time a new episode comes out because we are here with new episodes every week throughout the NBA season and, of course, beyond. For Scott Rafferty, I am Gil McGregor. Thanking you again for tuning in to NBA Sound System. We will catch you next week.